1 Samuel chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words, and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave, and went on his way. Afterward, David also rose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it, and plead my cause, and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dwelt, uh, dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, 
that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is God's word, and we thank him for it. Are we careful who we listen to? Because there are a lot of competing voices out there. Believe this, believe that. Do this, do that. Read this, read that. There are so many voices telling us what to think, what to believe, what to do, that sometimes it is exhausting to know what to do, what to think, or even what to believe. When we come to 1 Samuel 24, our reading for tonight, we find that Saul and David for all of their differences, are in that position. They are surrounded by different voices. And tonight, I want to draw your attention to the different voices that are speaking in this passage. We'll be splitting the passage into three parts, verses 1 to 7, the voice of David's men, verses 8 to 12, the voice of Saul's men, and then verses 13 to 22, the voice of wisdom. And please, please keep your Bibles open in front of you, uh, page 246 of the Pew Bibles, and I'll be referring to the ESV version. In verses 1 to 7, we hear the voice of David's men. Verse 1 continues straight on from uh, last week's chapter. If you were here last week, you might remember how Scott told us that uh, Saul was in hot pursuit of David, only to have to turn back and fight the Philistines. So after that skirmish is over, we find that a spy has told Saul that David is in the wilderness of Engedi, a strategic area near the Dead Sea. Saul chooses 3,000 of his elite soldiers to find David in front of an area called the uh, Wild Goats Rocks. Verse 3 nearly offers some light comedic effect as we find that Saul, tired after a busy day fighting Philistines and hunting David, goes into one of the caves to relieve himself. And so Saul, despite having 3,000 elite soldiers with him, goes into the cave alone. He didn't have the common sense to think that if David was up in the wilderness, perhaps he would be hiding in one of the caves, which is maybe more likely than we would think because we know that David was a shepherd and that this cave was near the sheepfolds. It's not unlikely that David knew places like this from his previous employment. Anyway, in verse 4, we hear the voice of David's men. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Surely this is providence. Saul is taking care of business, vulnerable, unarmed, and without any of the 3,000 soldiers to watch his back. David's friends even quote the Lord, except they don't. There isn't any record anywhere that the Lord has said this to David and especially not in relation to Saul. 
But you can understand David's men, can't you? Running from this madman Saul with 3,000 soldiers. And they know that David is really, certainly, definitely going to be king. Saul is on borrowed time already. But should David listen to them? You'd be tempted, wouldn't you? I would be tempted. David's kingship is one kill away. And all this hiding in caves, all this fleeing, all this fear would be over. But we find that David does not take Saul out. Instead, he quietly goes up, cuts off a corner of his robe, and returns. Can you imagine the reaction of the man? You could kill Goliath, but you couldn't kill Saul. You had him at the end of your sword. You did nothing, David. David could have listened to the voice of the man, but he didn't. What's David's reasoning? Well, in verse 5 we read that David's heart struck him. He felt guilty, even for cutting off a bit of Saul's robe, never mind killing him. It's this crazy talk. Why would David feel guilty? Why would his conscience be at him? We find in verse 7 that David's men actually took some persuading not to go after Saul themselves. What were the words that persuaded the man? In verse 6, David said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. It didn't have anything to do with Saul himself. It was because he was the Lord's anointed. Saul, for whatever reason, was the one whom the Lord had chosen at this point. David's loyalty, David's loyalty is not to Saul. David's loyalty is to the Lord. David knew one day, one day soon, that he himself would be the king of Israel. He would be the Lord's anointed. And we know that later on in uh, chapter 26, David believes that whoever stretches out his hand against the Lord's anointed will not be held guiltless. In the same chapter, David leaves the vengeance in the hands of the Lord. As the Lord lives, David says, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord will either kill him, his day will simply come, or he'll die in battle. David knows that's how Saul will end. Because David evidently knew the voice of the Lord from Deuteronomy 32. Verse 35 says, Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. Don't read this and think that David was letting Saul off the hook. Instead, David was waiting for the Lord David was waiting for God to deal with Saul. That's what convinced David's men. And that's actually what saved Saul's life that day. Because David listened to the voice of God, the real voice of God, 
not the voice of his men. In verses 8 to 12, we hear the voice of Saul's men. So what's Saul's reaction? Does he just go on his merry way and keep hunting David? Well, presumably that was his plan. But then, as he's going out of the cave, he hears a familiar voice. My Lord, the King. But notice the faith that David has in God. David believed that one day he would be king because the Lord had told him. So he was in absolutely no fear in putting himself in the most vulnerable position by falling face down and paying homage or respect to Saul. David asks Saul a question. Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? That was part of Saul's problem. He has not been listening to the voice of God. In fact, Saul has been doing anything but listening to the voice of God. Instead, he's been listening to, and perhaps manipulated by, the crowds that are around him, telling him that David wants to harm him. Look at verse 10. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. Some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. It was no coincidence that Saul just happened to use the facilities in the same cave as David was hiding. But David didn't listen to the voice of his men who told him to kill Saul. Instead, he spared the life of the Lord's anointed. You can see this in verse 11. Look at, what, look at how David talks. Look, look at the edge of your robe that I cut off. That could have been your head, Saul. There's evidence, Saul. I haven't sinned against you. Even though you were trying to kill me, you and your 3,000 men. Verse 12, David tells Saul that he's leaving it up to the Lord. The Lord can judge. The Lord can avenge. But David will not do it himself. In verses 13 to 22, we hear another voice, the voice of wisdom. Verse 13 says, As the proverb of the ancients says, just a nice way of saying, as the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. As the old saying goes, out of the wicked comes wickedness. But Saul, my hand shall not be against you. That has to be a very humbling thought to Saul. This is an old saying. It's a well-known phrase. Even the dogs in the street know it. It's one that Saul must have known. Out of the wicked comes wickedness. Pause for a second and think how that must have hit Saul. Remember the bloodbath in chapter 22, Saul? When he killed all the priests? Now you're up here with an army of 3,000 trying to kill me. Saul, you're listening to the voices of liars who tell you that I am after you. Saul, can you not see? You're wicked. Because out of the wicked 
wickedness comes. As for me, Saul, I'm not like you. My hand won't touch you. Verse 14. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Is this really, really a way of life befitting of the king of Israel, Saul? Who are you after? When David says a dead dog or flea, I don't think we're meant to take that as David calling himself a dead dog or a flea. I think it's rhetorical. Like David is asking, you think I'm a dead dog? You think I'm a flea? No, Saul. I will be king of Israel. You have been rejected. Therefore, we read in verse 15, David's words, May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you. And see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. The Lord will judge in my favor. You're wicked. Our actions, the fruits of our lives, show that. The Lord will deliver me from you, Saul. You can come up here, Saul, with a million soldiers. You will not prevail. Because the Lord is on my side, just like Samuel said in chapter 15. I think we have it on the PowerPoint. You have rejected the word of the Lord, Saul. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor who is better than me. Here we find out exactly how much a better man David is. Because unlike Saul, David didn't reject the word of God, but listened to it, even when it could have cost him dearly. Saul knows all this is true. We read in verse 16 that Saul recognizes David's voice. And what he has said has moved him to tears. Don't think that's tears of repentance. Because if you read on, Saul will keep on going after David. Saul's tears are more like Esau, who was devastated at the result of his sin, rather than the sin itself. In verse 17, he knows he's in the wrong. He has no excuse. David has spoken righteously. You're more righteous than I, David. For you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. You could have killed me, but you didn't. May the Lord reward you for sparing my life. I know that you're the one that Samuel spoke about, the man who is better than I, the man who will have the kingdom. Yet Saul doesn't give the kingdom to David. Saul could have given the kingdom to David here. But he keeps it in his own possession for as long as he can. Like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, even though it's going to destroy him, he can't let go, even though he knows it will cost him his life. Look at verse 21. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me. He knows himself that the only way he's going to give up the kingdom is when he dies for things that are after him, as he puts it. 
He knows that his death will come. So he asks David, don't be like the other kings. Don't wipe out the family line. And I think this is why Saul says in verse 22, or sorry, why Saul and his men in verse 22, go home. Rather than stand, rather than fight against David and his men. Because Saul knows to fight here, to fight now, would mean the end of his kingdom. And the end of his kingdom means the end of him. If you were an onlooker to all this, who would you want as your king? We have Saul, a power-hungry crazy man, ready to sacrifice everything to keep his hands on the kingdom. He feeds into paranoid delusions by listening to people people like himself, people like Doeg the Edomite, who pulled Saul's own evil heart further and further away from God. None of what Saul learned from David was a surprise. He had been told numerous times that the kingdom would be taken away from him. He didn't listen to men like Samuel. He didn't listen to David. Because ultimately, he refused to listen to God. Even the old sayings, even the dogs in the street knew it, that evildoers do evil. But still, Saul had no repentance. As we just heard, he could have repented and given the king, uh, kingdom to David that night. But he didn't. We read simply that Saul, Saul went home. Could it have been different? Imagine Saul listened to what God had said over and over and over. Imagine he repented and gave the keys to the real king of Israel. If you were Saul's personal advisor, what would you have said to him? Well, knowing everything, knowing how everything would turn out, I would tell him to repent and to subject himself to the true king of Israel. And friends, that's what I tell you tonight. The same thing. Because that's the gospel. Repent and subject yourself to the true king of Israel. Not David, but our king of kings, Jesus Christ. We can think that we are the king or queen of our kingdom. We can listen to a thousand and one voices tell us that there's no hell below us, above us only sky, or that all roads lead to the same God, or that all you have to do is pray a prayer and ask Jesus into your heart and he'll definitely come. Or you can believe that we're all going to go to heaven, so do what thou shalt will be the whole of the law. Folks, those voices mean absolutely nothing Nothing at all. The only voice that means anything is the voice of Jesus Christ, our King. Because his voice means everything. Listen to what Jesus has said. Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We have the best king that we could ever imagine. We would be fools not to listen to him. But the good news is, his sheep hear his voice. His sheep listen. And he knows them. And they follow him. Where does he lead them? To eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of his hand. Amen. And we thank God for 1 Samuel 24.